Hey everybody and welcome to another episode of Magic with Zuby. Today's episode is I'm actually interviewing a judge. His name's David Wiggs and he was a pretty cool guy. I enjoyed having him on. We he was um pretty insightful about you know judging as a whole. He taught me some some stuff about judging and some stuff I didn't even know. It was I felt it was pretty cool. We vibed pretty well. And yeah, before we get into the, oh, I got something in my mouth. What the hell is that? Something weird just came out of my mouth and I'm not sure what it was exactly, but I'm sure you don't want to hear about that. So before we get into the interview, I just want to thank MTG cast for, you know, getting this podcast out. And according to the numbers, I don't know how correct they are. It's there's been quite a few people downloading the podcast and getting some listeners. So hopefully you guys are enjoying what I'm putting out. And I would just like to say if you want to follow me on Twitter, I my Twitter handlers are at Zubatron, Z-U-B-A-T-R-O-N. And the official Magic with Zuby podcast Twitter is at Magic with Zuby. And you can also find me at Facebook. You just look for Magic with Zuby. I've got my own page there. And I now also have my own website domain too. I don't know if I mentioned this in the last podcast, but my new website is magicwithzuby.com. Bought the domain, finally. I, th- I think I talked about it. I don't remember. But, um, yeah, I'm trying to write more articles, especially weekly modern and standard updates. And I've got a few deck texts that I want to go into. It's some modern decks that I want to build. I'm building right now. Th- these are just mainly budget builds. I don't feel like spending a lot of money on these because I'm buying a house right now. And, yeah, and I don't think my wife would be happy if I spent a lot of money on magic card decks since we're buying a house. I don't think she would care, right? It's okay. I think she'd be okay with it. So, yeah. So, I was just at Modern Monday, and I gotta say, Modern has exploded at my local game store. There was 20 people there this past Monday. That's more people than we've had in Standard for the past couple months, because no one likes these very expensive Standard decks. I still play Standard, because I enjoy it. But we've just definitely lost a lot of interest in standard lately, and I think it's because of the high, the high cost to really be competitive, and that's fine. But yeah, Monday I brought my Grixis Delver deck again, and I was doing awesome with it. I won the first two rounds, and then I decided to go home. Why? I was just really tired. I was. It was just one of those days where I'm just like, I want to keep playing, but. I'm just, I'm going to pass out while playing. And I've said another podcast where, you know, once I get tired, there's just, no, there's no going back. Once I'm tired, I'm just done. And I don't know how to play magic anymore. So yeah, the two rounds I won, it was against burn and slivers. The burn deck, I thought I was just going to lose being Grixis Delver. Cause you know how slow, um, Grixis Delver can be, but no, it was, I feel like I'm learning the deck a lot more and it's been fun. Uh, I've got, there's two 
PPTQs coming up that I'm hoping to be a part of. So we'll just we just gotta wait and see. And yeah. Trying to is there anything else I want to talk about real quick before the interview? Um Shadows Vinistrad's coming out. They've spoiled some stuff. I'm not too crazy on the set yet. The investigate mechanic. Eh. It's kind of boring to me. And yeah. Well, investigate you. I don't fucking know. You make a clue artifact and you pay two mana to discard the clue and draw a card, something like that. But it it just so far all the spoilers that they've shown, the cards seem cool. But it's just nothing where I'm like, oh my god, I gotta get a box. So far I'm just like, eh, I might just buy the singles I want. You know, I'm not even sure what deck I want to build. So far, because at least with when Battle for Zendikar was coming up, immediately I was like, I want to build a Landfall deck. <gasps> I want to build an Eldrazi deck. <gasps> I want to build this. So far, none of these are just like, eh. I mean, so far Zombies? seem cool but eh. i think i may stick with my eldrazi rant deck for a little bit because i already got the chandra's you freaking cat why are you my cat is attacking my foot right now very professional freaking i will put you in a cage but okay anyways yeah before i start rambling off uh here is the interview with david wiggs the level one judge enjoy How's it going? <clears throat> Doing all right. How about yourself? Doing good. Can you hear me all right? I'm clear. My voice coming in well. Yeah, it sounds good. I know you're going to be the end of recording, so if I sound bad, that kind of messes up the whole point, doesn't it? No, it's all right. It's recording right now, but I'm going to edit out, you know, this part and all that. So sounds good. Yeah. So how's it going, man? Doing well. How about you? Uh, long day. Long day. Been up since five thirty a.m. and yeah, I'm ready for bed right now. <laughs> and so, what what are you up to? I just right now we're in in life. Yeah, well, just anything right now, life, whatever. Just sitting around. I'm I'm a student teacher, so that kind of eats up my free time. Oh wow! Yeah, oh, I bet. Do you do um? Do you have to plan a lot for that, or what kind of teacher are you? Like um, college, high school, or high school history? Ooh. There's a decent amount of planning, yeah. Um, so that's the challenge of, you know, I'm essentially working a 40-hour-a-week job and paying to do it. Wait, what? Student teachers do not get paid. Wait, are you doing that for a college class or something? Right, or? it's a college course, and student uh. teachers aren't paid, so I'm actually paying <clears throat> to work. What? <laughs> Welcome to public education. That doesn't make any sense to me. I mean, I know because my wife was going to school to become a, a kindergarten teacher and she had to, you know, do so many hours in, in the class. But, you know, for her college credits, is that what you're doing right now or? Correct. How how long do you have to do that for? Uh, It's four months and I'm about halfway through it. I'll be done at the end of April. Well, that's not too bad, though. No. So how long have you been in college for? 
Uh, there's a question. Uh, off and on since 2007. Oh, okay. This is the end of the Masters right now. Oh, nice. Yeah, I plan to go back for my bachelor's one day. I've only got my AA degree. But um, I do, I'm a network engineer by day. So okay. I'm in, I'm in front of the computer a lot of days. And it's, it's, it's a good job. I enjoy it. It's just, it can be taxing. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. <clears throat> so you're a level one judge, right? I'm level one. That is correct. All right. How long have you been playing Magic for now? I have been playing Magic since 1999, and I have been playing competitive Magic since about 2006. 1999, was that around Mercadian Masks? Or? That is the exact set that I started with. I recall buying the the red-green Precon deck was the first taste of Magic I got. Oh, wow. Yeah, I started the set right before that. I started with Urza's Saga. Was the, That was the first one? That was the first of the Urza's block, yes. Yeah, yeah I started in that, and we had, um, we, we didn't have any card shops. We, I mean, we just had a um, sports card shop, and there was just like a little display of magic. Because I was really into baseball cards at the time. I mean, who wasn't it when I was a kid? You know, and we see the I see these magic cards and see all these fantastical creatures, and I'm like, ooh, what's this? Because you know, I loved the Hobbit when I was a kid and Lord of the Rings as a kid, so I I was instantly addicted. Of course, I didn't really know how to play at all <laughs> when I was a kid. So, yeah, and, I was I was fortunate enough to have somebody teach me, but I'm the same way as my shop was not focused on card gaming or board gaming. They just had a little bit because it maybe it would sell. Yeah, yeah. I, it's I can't remember. I don't remember the first time there was an actual card shop where you could play in my area. It probably wasn't until after I got out of high school, which was two thousand four. And I, I I'd only because I I played Magic on and off when I was a kid in middle school and high school, and then when I got into college, you know, I dropped it for a little bit. And then got back into it. I got back into it when Kamigawa came out. And I loved my shitty Ninja Rat deck. That was the best deck that I thought at the time. <laughs> hey, that... It was that, like, Betrayer's Precon. That came with a Jitte, man. That thing does work. You know, I probably did have that at one time. Because I, I, I do remember buying a Precon when Betrayer's came out. But I don't have a Jitte anymore. Who knows what the hell happened to it. Yeah, the uh, the Rat's Nest Precon, as it was called, I recall, that had a GTA in it, and that was the only reason that card wasn't forty fifty dollars because you could buy the Precon for ten bucks and get one. Oh shit! Oh, well, I had. Damn it! Oh well. <laughs> <laughs> no. So, um, how old are you, if you don't mind me asking? Twenty seven. Twenty seven. All right, I'll be thirty this year, so eh, you're not too far off. Mm. No. So. I don't know if you're familiar with Magic with Zuby or if you listen to the podcast, but um, it's really mainly geared towards people who are just starting out or maybe they want to go from the kitchen table to be competitive and they may not be familiar with everything on the competitive scene. You know, like m maybe they're not familiar with what FNM is or what an IQ or PPTQ is. So it, it's really geared towards that. So I really wanted to get a judge on today to really discuss what is a magic judge you know because some people may not even know what they really do you know what i mean no exactly they're 
for a lot of people. I think I'd say the vast majority of Magic players don't set foot in a shop except to buy cards. So a lot of the the going on, what a rule enforcement level is, all of these things might be foreign. So I completely understand what you're thinking. Yeah. So when you're talking about rule enforcement's level, can you describe that a little bit? Like, what is that if you were going to describe it to someone who doesn't know anything about it? Absolutely. Uh, so rule enforcement level, sometimes people call it REL or REL, just for shorthand, is okay. essentially the the level of seriousness, for lack of a better word, of tournaments in terms of how penalties and mistakes are handled. The majority of events, your pre-releases, Friday Night Magic, Game Day, they're running what's called regular REL. So the focus is more on teaching you as opposed to punishing you when mistakes happen. Okay. A competitive REL, that's where your your PPTQs, your IQs, a day one of Grand Prix are at that. That is where there's a little bit more expectation of understanding how things interact, and there are higher costs for committing infractions. And there's professional REL, that's going to be Pro Tour, day two of Grand Prix, I think Worlds is about it. And though that's just a slightly more focused method of competitive REL. Okay. What's the difference between professional and competitive REL? And there used to be differences in terms of what uh, what would get you what penalties. They've steered away from that, so the only major difference now is uh, the involvement of spectators. At competitive REL, if you notice the players commit an infraction, you can say, hang on, please, and call a judge. Don't okay. fix it yourself. That's its own bag of worms. But at professional, you can't even do that. You just need to go find a judge without interfering with the match. Oh, uh, okay. Okay, that makes sense. So so it sounds like, I mean, like I said, in my personal experience, I've done a lot of F&M, and I'm just now starting to get into the more competitive REL. And I do notice, you know, there's especially a different shift in attitude when going from just F&M level and PPTQ. People will take it a little bit more seriously. Um you know what sort of what sort of things can someone new going into PPTQs really expect when you're taking that next step from FNM so and going up higher? The biggest thing that you can expect is more expectations of understanding tournament procedures. So, how to really draw your opening hand? Some people just shuffle up. Sometimes they will just you know they'll deal their deck into piles, put it together, and draw. Some people call it pile shuffling or piling, anything like that. You know, that alone isn't good enough randomization, but some new players are surprised to hear that. So okay. understanding things like that, uh, just to immediately call a judge if something goes wrong as opposed to trying to work it out with your opponent, these are the things that will come up more at competitive REL compared to FNM, where it might just be, oops, I dropped this card off my deck. Oh, okay, shuffle it in. Something like that would be totally fine at FNM, but a competitive could be a, a bigger problem. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay. How long have you been a judge in Magic, by the way? Actually, two years today. Okay. And do you want to go a little bit about um what all the different levels mean? or? Sure. I, I think there's, what, five levels? There are five levels. Um, so... The five levels don't necessarily represent rules knowledge. 
a level five doesn't necessarily know a ton about the rules. They don't have every rule memorized. Level fives can make mistakes just like level ones. But what they essentially represent is a combination of experience and what they are believed to be capable of handling. So a level one, they might be the guy who just helps run FNM. They might be the judge for a small IQ. Level two or level three might be the head judge of a PPTQ, of a super IQ, things like that. And your fours and fives, they are your head judges for Grand Prix and for Pro Tours. There's a pretty small number of them. I think there's five L5s. So okay. they are, they're kind of seen as the global judge. They're just the ones head judging Pro Tours, controlling certain spheres of magic play. So like, if there's an update to policy, like they changed how drawing extra cards works recently, something like that could be uh, controlled by an L5. Okay. Well, that makes sense. So I guess what what's really the difference? Now, I understand the differences between, you know, L1, L2 and what they can head judge. Is there knowledge bit, like level differences between all the levels or like do you have to know deeper knowledge, say, if you want to go from level one to level two or how does that work? So you don't it's not like a guarantee of knowledge. An L1 can know as much as an L5. But the deeper things go, more minute interactions are expected. Level 3 is the last one where there's really a sit-down rules test. So level 3 might need to know more about the in-depth interactions of things like layers and things like that, while level 1 is more basic interactions, especially pertaining to things you'll see in standard. Okay. You you might see in a level 1 test something like... We're saying in modern, for instance, there's the pretty classic case. If a player has a land and a sorcery in their graveyard and their opponent casts lightning bolt targeting Tarmogoyf, what happens? Oh, yes. What would happen? <laughs> so, uh, lightning bolt resolved and is put into the graveyard. Then state-based uh, actions are checked. Tarmogoyf now sees, oh, there's an instant too, so I'm a 3-4, and I've got three damage on me. That's okay. And Tarmogoyf will actually survive that bolt. Oh, that makes sense. Okay. Level 3 might have questions involving Chains of Mephistopheles. Oh, what's that card? Uh, try to recall the Oracle text at the top of my head, which is a really, really bad thing. Um, <laughs> if a player would draw a card, and it is not the first card drawn this turn during their draw step, uh, they instead discard a card. If they cannot, they put the top card of their library into their graveyard. Okay. So it creates some interesting things. You know, what if you're drawing multiple cards? What if you have things that also replace what happens when you discard? Weird effects like that get into multiple things trying to change the same thing, and that's more of the realm of your L2 and 3 questions. Oh, uh, yeah. Just you even describing that just made me realize, wow, I barely know anything about the rules. <laughs> it's because, I, I mean,. In my limited experience, I've come across some, you know, confusing, you know, board states, but nothing like that, though. It's just really when, you know, when triggers are, when triggers, you know, whether it's a casted trigger or it's a state-based trigger or whatever it is, you know. But, yeah, nothing like that. That sounds pretty crazy. Um, So how hard is the test even to become a level one judge? Um... So it requires you to know some things that maybe basic players don't know. For instance, 
um, what's that guy? Warden of the first tree. Yeah. You know, if you start him off as his base 1-1, one, one, you put plus one, plus one counters on him from something else, then use the first ability that turns him into, that gives him more counters, but then you turn to frog him. You turn him into a 1-1. One, one. You know, is he a 1-1? One, one? Do you count his counters? Things like that are the things the L1s need to know. Okay. So there's an order to which power and toughness uh, effects apply. It's called layers. So that's the most complicated for level one. But really, if you you can get through a multiplayer commander game and not have any questions, you could probably pass the L1 test. Okay, yeah, that's usually a tough feat to accomplish. <laughs> I get, Depending on the complexity of the decks involved, I've had plenty of EDH games where, you know, like five people are trying to cast a spell at once, you know. And which one resolves first, or or what exactly. action? So, yeah, that sounds pretty tough. What made you want to become a judge in Magic? So at the time, I was actually employed at my local shop, and I was already running the F and M's. Okay. So my thought was, well, why not just? I'm already doing a lot of the role of an L one, which is usually seen as the the store level judge. They're the guy that hangs out at the store, runs the smaller events. So my thought, I'm I'm already doing a lot of the the actions of an L one. And there are so many level twos in my area that can issue the test for me that it should be pretty straightforward to do it. So I just decided to go ahead and take the test. Oh, wait, so that's I didn't I'd never known about that. So a level two has to give you the test, or to take? Do, I'm sorry. No, 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 I was just going to ask, like, how does that work? So to take the test, you have to be uh, issued the test, or in the in many cases, the interview afterwards or beforehand by someone from one level higher than the test you're taking. Okay. So if you want to take the level 1 test, you need to work with a level 2. If you want to take the level 2 test, you need to work with a level 3, and so on. You can't just self-issue the test or take it online. They're actually uh, paper tests where they print them off and give them to you. Okay. How is that governed then? Like, who... Like, ha is there, like, a governing body on who decides, like, the, the actual test itself? Or how does that work? The judge committee is pretty self-run. Uh, Wizards keeps their hands off of it mostly. So when there is cases like that, the questions are contributed by judges and then monitored by one of those higher-level judges. I talked about how the level 4s and 5s have their little sphere of influence. Yeah. One of them might focus on testing, for example. So uh, the questions are self-policed and kind of monitored. And then it, when you want to take the test, you pick the test you want. It pulls from a pool of, you know, 800, 900 questions or something, and then gives you the 20 or 25 questions you need, and you take that test. Okay. So what you said something a little interesting that maybe some people don't know is um, Wizards doesn't have any control over the judges or doesn't involve themselves with it? Uh, very, very loosely do they involve themselves with it. They require certain levels of judges for certain events. For instance, a PPTQ requires a level 2 head judge. A level 1 can't be that head judge. Okay. Uh, beyond that, they are not super involved. The, um, they're not Judges are not employees of Wizards, even your level 5s. Uh, they're not paid by Wizards, anything like that. Okay, so they're completely separate from Wizards then. Correct. Now, the Wizards, they still have authority. For instance, there was the, the case a while ago with the the spoiled cards from Oath of the Gatewatch that got a number of judges suspended. Yeah. 
So that I is remember that. that is an action that they can still take. But in terms of my day to day dealings, I'm just dealing with the the store owners that wish to have me judge. Okay. And do you judge a lot of tournaments lately or uh I've been kind of caught in between my, my playing and my judging. I'm kind of trying to break through like a little glass ceiling of my playing. So that's kind of changed my judging, but I try to do a couple of IQs and uh, Grand Prix trials every, every year. Okay. So how does that, how does that balance work since it, you know, you mentioned you want to be more of a competitive player and you're also sound like you're interested in, you know, judging more. So how, how do you, how do you find balance in that or, I guess, what do you find easier to do? I mean, I know playing can be hard, but does maybe being a judge help you be a better player since you know all the rules or have a really good grasp on the rules? Uh, it can. There's kind of an old joke that judges are bad at magic because they they often overthink rules interactions. <laughs> and in some cases, that's true. I be- That curse might be real because I've gotten worse at magic since I got my certification. But Oh, wow. It's just kind of the curse of the judge. So well, why do you think that is? I have no idea. It kind of starts off as like a running joke where a lot of judges, especially the higher level ones, spend more time traveling to events and thus less time playing. Yeah. So they kind of fall out of focus of play skill and just know the rules. I probably play more than I judge, so that's not the case. Maybe it's just a curse. Maybe it's superstition. Who knows? And I try to keep a balance, for instance... A Grand Prix DC is this weekend, and I'm going as a player. But there's a lot. There's a store in my area that runs IQs a couple times a month, and I try and judge maybe every other one of those. Oh, okay. That really sounds... comes down to like the formats that I'm playing. I play a lot of standard. I'll play some Legacy if I can borrow a deck. You know, right now Modern's miserable, so I just borrow a Modern deck, if or just judge that. Oh, is your modern meta pretty bad right now with Eldrazi? I, there's not a lot in my local meta, but just you know, if I want to go to a Grand Prix or something and I'm not playing Eldrazi, I'm probably just wrong. Yeah, so much. Just wait until April and then modern will be playable again. Yeah, I've only been to one competitive REL event in modern, an IQ, um, and I did absolutely terrible. It was actually my second time ever playing modern, so yeah, I didn't expect myself to do that great. But um, surprisingly, my local meta for Modern, I've seen maybe one Eldrazi player, and we just had 20 people on Monday there. Okay, so, so you actually have a fairly diverse one. Oh, yeah, it's pretty diverse. It's There's a lot of homebrews, and then there's, of course, the people who play the standard Affinity, Abzan Company, and stuff like right. that. So My meta is somewhat diverse it's not as bad as the 45 50 percent we're seeing at the high end but we probably have 25 percent eldrazi players and i found myself convinced that wizards doesn't want me to play modern because the last three times that i've put a deck in my shopping cart and say all right i'm gonna buy a modern deck as soon as this pro tour finishes or as soon as this bandless announcement happens uh i was ready to do that with birthing pod then pod got banned i was ready to do that with uh amulet bloom then bloom got banned and my thought was well, Bloom might get banned, so I'll just build, um, what's it called? Uh, the copy your token a bunch of times. Splinter Twin. Oh, oh, Twin, yeah. My thought was if Bloom gets banned, I'll just build Twin. <clears throat> so all three of those got banned in like, back-to-back announcements. So that was before you bought the decks, right? Or right, I hadn't, no, I had not bought them. Like I have them sitting in my cart and TCG <laughs> player. 
is saying, yeah. all right, I'll wait for the ban list announcement. If Bloom gets banned, which I think it will, I'll just build Twin. And then they both got banned. So I was like, okay, I, maybe I'll play Infect. That looks fun. I've got most of the cards already. I just need to pick up the things. So whatever the Pro Tour list is, I'll play that. And Eldrazi came out. Yeah. No, it's funny you mention that because my friend has the actual opposite happen to him. He's already bought the decks and build them, and then they get banned like a month later. I felt it's happened to him two times with Pod and um, Twin. I had a friend do that with his Legacy deck and his uh, Modern deck as well. Yeah, it's sad. I felt bad for him, but I'm just like, damn, that just sucks. They were very aggressive with modern bannings, which has been a a challenge for some people. Yeah, that's why the decks I'm building in modern right now are not top tier, because I'm afraid of investing in them right now. I'm only playing Elves and Grixis Delver right now. So I feel like those are relatively safe, as long as they don't ban Collected Company for my Elf deck. There's a, there's a non-zero chance. They've been sneaky. I know, right? Because no one was expecting Twin. It's, it's like... Now, I, I I was expecting Amulet Bloom, but Twin, that just fe- felt like it came out of nowhere. Yeah, that one surprised me. That's why I loved the 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 chat in the stream during the Pro Tour afterwards. Did you watch the Pro Tour stream at all? What, the one this past weekend? Uh, no, the the first Pro Tour, so... What have been... The, the modern one, so Battle for Zendikar? Pro Tour, or... No, it would have been Oath of the Gatewatch. Yes, I'm sorry. Yeah. I did watch it, but I don't remember the stream chat or anything. So they were quoting uh, from the article that announced the band list, which included Twin. So they, everyone in chat, like I would say probably 75% of chat was just filled with the quote, in the interest of competitive diversity, Splinter Twin is banned for modern. <laughs> we're looking at like a 7 of 8 Eldrazi top 8. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that, that was a crazy pro tour. That was... It was cool to see the new decks, but just how it was just insane how crazy good that deck was. No one was like no one had any answers to it. When you give a deck eight lands that generate two mana, it's going to do some scary things. Yeah, because I remember everybody talking about that they thought Tron was going to go and you know take off since Bloom was banned, and Tron was not even I don't even think it was in the top sixteen, not even the top thirty two. If it was, I don't remember what place it was, but yeah. Yeah, I think, I don't recall it in the top 16 for sure. Lots of Affinity and Eldrazi, obviously, and like one Infect for some reason. Yeah. So what was your favorite event that you ever judged at? So I haven't judged many of the gigantic events. You know, I haven't gone to these 6,000-player Grand Prix Vegases. Both just a travel budget and... Often the larger events want mostly level two and level threes. So a lot of the fun I've had is at these these small IQs, you know, these 15, 20 player IQs where, you know, I'd say of the 20 players, 16 of them I know on a first name basis because they're from the community. It's almost just like hanging out with your friends, but you get to help them yeah. play magic. Yeah. Mm. So where do you see yourself? In five years, do you still see yourself maybe being a level two judge or trying to break out more into competitive play? Or I'd, I'd ideally both in a perfect world, but of course, the life of the full time job does not lend to that too easily. Oh yeah, I, I know what you mean. So <laughs> um, L two would be fun, um, but a lot of the 
the large events. Level twos need to do a couple of multi-judge events a year. So events in which you don't have to be the head judge, but you need to have another judge with you at the event. So a lot of those in my mind are Star City Open Series. They are Grand Prix. And a lot of those I'm trying to get to because I'm trying to I'm trying to improve my performance at those from just barely scraping by to hopefully more performances in the money. Yeah. It, so when you mentioned that you have to do a few tournaments, is there is it expected of you if you get to be level two that you have to do X amount of tournaments a year? Or it's correct. There's a, I think it's three a year that level twos have to do multi judge events. That's interesting. Of course, you don't want to do the minimum because that just reflects poorly upon you. So you want so. What would happen if you don't do them? Do you just get kicked out of being a judge? Oh, uh, you'd be uh, you'd be demoted. Yeah. Okay. So what about level one? Is there any tournaments that you have to do a year like x amount i think it's you just have to do one event a year there's not too much more to it than that just i think if you do one a year you maintain l1 so how do they record that is there a system because you know like the planeswalker points where you have your dci numbers or something similar to that for judges so like when you do an event like take the uh, pptq you were playing in that you talked about yeah um so you you play a match, you fill up the match slip, and then you go take it up to the judge. You probably drop it in a box or give it to them or something, right? Yep. That judge enters it into a program called Wizards Event Reporter, or WUR for short. Okay. And uh, WUR, that's what logs everything. When they're done, they upload it. That goes to Wizards. That's how they know who did well, who did not, all that data. Uh, there's a little spot where you put in the DCI number of all the judges. So Wizards then gets that and says, oh, this player or this person judged, this person head judged, we know that they've done this. And they check that little box for them. Oh, okay. So the that same program sense. that tracks your wins and losses at events also tracks the judges' goings on. So do you have like a judge number per se or? And just your DCI number. Oh, okay. I don't have any like little special secret ID or anything. It's just <laughs> my little DCI number does it all. And so there's no, like, little judge club that you guys go to? <laughs> if there is, they haven't told me. Oh, uh, maybe you got to get, like, level three, level four. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Perhaps there's some little secret judge Illuminati that I have to figure out. Yeah, they're the ones coming up with the rules, actually. They're the ones who, like, the level four and level fives, they just plot, like, what rules can we come up with and what, you know, what can we do to piss off the community, maybe. Sitting around with a dartboard. <laughs> And they hit a dartboard like, oh, we're going to bring back banding. Oh. Uh, Bands with Other is back. <laughs> that would be funny. Oh, man. Imagine how confused everyone would be if they just brought it back exactly like how it used to be. If they bring back banding, I'm just walking away. Not from I magic, but from judging, just on the grounds of, no, oh, yeah. I'm not answering banding questions. Yeah, I, I wouldn't blame you on that part, but I would just want to stay around and just watch the madness ensue that would it would just be too funny to me it's like because i have this um deck that i want to build for commander a banding deck the aisha tanaka the the white blue a legend creature who has banding on it i just want to build banding and just have everybody at my shop just be completely confused every time i attack <laughs> little banding there is not a lot of players really recall how banding works because a lot of it involves decisions made by the blocker that you wouldn't think are made by the blocker. Yeah. And that that's just why I would 
I, oh, it'd be so funny if it came back. Of course, it would never happen. There'd be too many people be crying. I mean, you're familiar with the, the storm scale that Mark Rosewater has posted, right? Yeah, I, I just learned about that a couple weeks ago. Like, I've heard about it before, but I didn't really understand it. But, yeah, it, that's probably what is a 10 or a 9 on his storm scale. I believe on the 1 to 10, I think bands with other is, I think he actually made it an 11. Yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to have to go resolve weird bands with other questions anymore. Yeah. Yeah. So what um what format do you find I guess like the easiest to judge or the hardest to judge? I or if you want to answer both. Uh, so the easiest to judge at least right now probably standard. There's not any decks that are creating particularly difficult interactions are mostly just straightforward attack with creature decks. Uh, the most yeah. difficult, either logistically it is sealed because there's a lot of hubbub with the deckless registration and so much can go wrong there. When you do Like what? When you do competitive REL sealed, you have to register every card you open in the packs. Including the ones you don't use? Correct. Ooh, wow. This big, giant, like full-size piece of paper with all the cards on it, you have to check a box for... You know, I opened three of this card, two of this card, and then you register how many you're playing. So, you know, one little mistake there can be problematic because that means that things aren't being counted correctly. You want to make sure that everyone has the right number of cards. So that's difficult from a logistics standpoint. And Legacy, of course, brings up some kind of odd rulings. You know, Chains Such of, as what? Well, Chains of Mephistopheles is, actually sees fringe play in Legacy. But okay. that, you know, seeing some replacement effects, especially with, say, Sylvan Library. Okay. You get weird. So Chain of Mephistopheles, that's the, if you draw a card except during your uh, first one of your draw step, discard instead if you can't mill. And then Sylvan Library has you draw three during your draw step, and then put two back. That gets into weird interactions where players are like, well, I drew these three, so now I have to mill these because I can't discard any. But wait, how do I put them back now? Oh, jeez. <laughs> Those are the kind of confusing interactions that come up in Legacy, which they're fortunately pretty rare. Most of it is just oddities with Brainstorm. Yeah. Have you ever had to judge a Vintage event? Uh, luckily, I have not. I've played it a few, but I actually love Vintage, and I wish more people would, would run it. It's just kind of hard to find players that want to sit down and play Vintage. I would love to play Vintage. It's... I hate to say it, I have um, proxy, well, I guess not really proxy, but I guess really decent-looking Chinese fakes of Power 9, because I don't see myself ever buying them anytime soon. No, I don't, so, I don't have the 10 grand to put down on a set. Yeah, so I've made some, you know, really shitty vintage decks with the Power 9, and it's fun to play, but like you said, it's hard to find someone else to play, because, you know... No one has any of those cards. Even when I offer, like, hey, you could borrow some of my, you know, crappy fake Power 9 cards. And they're just like, no, because everybody would want to play with the real thing. Right. And, you know, Proxy and, Vintage exists some places. Just some, It's either hard to convince you know, tournament organizers to want to run it, or it's hard to convince players to try this new, actually quite the opposite of new, but new to them format. Yeah. Because I've even tried to get Legacy started up in my area. You know, but not just not full blown legacy, just budget legs legacy. Like your debt can't be any more than fifty dollars, something like that. You know, not including basic land. That'd be and interesting still... as I look over at the Lion's Eye Diamond sitting on my desk. 
<laughs> it's actually pretty tough because I built a um, mono green Stompy deck, and it was really tough because some of the cards that are good in Stompy are you know fifty bucks just for one card. The Berserk, I think. Right, no Berserks. You probably can't really fit Rancors in there. No, you can. No, I I managed to put Rancor in it. Really? That's uh, like a place. Isn't that like the ten percent of your budget right there? Pretty much. <laughs> that was the most expensive card. Everything else was super cheap. Like and Rogue Elephant, it, all that jazz. Oh, I'd have to look it up. <laughs> I, I don't remember what cards, but it 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 works. And I was act, I actually played against a legit Merfolk Legacy deck, and I managed to beat it. And I I don't have a sideboard because then the sideboard would put it over fifty bucks. <laughs> Fifteen forests. Yeah, true. Every game, stick in all of them and take out 15 other forests. Just throw your opponent off. Yeah, completely confuse them. Take out all my creatures and just put in forests. Like, yeah, you don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know if I would do that. <laughs> that seems less wise. No, but no, it's it's a fun little deck. But yeah, even that, it was hard to get people into because, like I said, most people want to play the tier one decks in Legacy, but they don't want to spend the money on it. And I can understand that. It's It's tough. You know, so what do you think, um, you know, for new players and even returning players, um, you, you know, very well, you being a judge, the rules of magic are extremely complex for a game. Um, you know, you and I, we've been playing it for a long time, but even myself, there's still some rules where I have to sort of second guess myself. I'm like, wait, it, do it does that work like that? You know? What what can someone new or someone returning do to help them ease themselves into learning the rules? What's something they can like do or practice? Or is reading the rules themselves just you know all one thousand or however many rules there are that sometimes it's not very easy to understand. Yeah, definitely don't just read the rule book. That's not <laughs> going to get you anywhere. That'll take several hours, and you won't really get a lot because of all the little tiny fiddly bits that just don't matter. Really, the best way to learn the game or to relearn the game if you've been out for a while is uh, Duels of the Planeswalkers, or just Magic Duels, as they call it. That online program, you can get it for PC and I think some other platforms. I know it's on tablets. And they yeah. just have a great teaching program. If you try and learn from a friend who's been playing, they might forget something partway through, and then all of a sudden you're frustrated because you don't understand how something works. But Duels does a great job of kind of slowly coaching you through it, and helping you learn in a way that maybe learning from a friend, while well-meaning, might have trouble with. Yeah, that's what I've noticed with, because um, I play Magic Duels just casually whenever I just want to get a quick game of Magic in. I do notice um, it does a really good, I guess, basic overview of what the phases are, too. Because when, when I've taught pe new people, they get really confused. It just, what do you mean, what's untap, or, you know, untap, upkeep, draw? Like they, they don't even get that part. Even though Magic Duels doesn't really go over that, but they still get confused during the attack phase to attack block and damage. You know, it, it does it does a decent job at it. So yeah, I, I agree with that. That's a good way. Um and playing with friends too. It's what helped me learn more the rules better is just actually just going to F and M and just playing, making mistakes and learning. Once you have a grasp of the rules, the best way to learn more, especially if you want to be competitive, is to lose. Yep, Play a lot of magic, lose a lot of magic. A lot of like when I was in between, you know, what we'll call 
FNM hero, the guy who's going to go X and O or X and one to FNM most weeks. Yeah. Who kind of clawing for cash finish that Star City opens. Like the difference was playing against players that were a lot better than me. You know, guys with pro points, guys who are pro player level silver, just losing to them and learning. I think if a lot of players want to to learn magic beyond the basics, play more magic. It sounds obvious, but it's really the best way to go. Yeah, I'd have to agree with that. I have to agree, you know, actually going to stores and, like I said, not being afraid of losing. Because, like, like I said, I've learned so much just even going to even going to regular F&M, you start to learn. Because, like you said, you have the F&M heroes that, you know, even then they take it super seriously at Friday Night Magic. And they'll 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 chastise you on the rules or if you don't know a rule or something. And it it makes you learn at least. You know, it, that that is if you care about it, you know. Right, there are some people where just once they know the basics and they're playing for fun, and that's fine. If that's your angle, go for it. Yeah, definitely. So what do you think is a common rule that most Magic players aren't aware of or just don't know? Stop rolling your die to determine a winner is the biggest one. Uh, there's a lot of what? players who, like, they'll get to a, a point like, uh-oh, we're about to go to time. Right now, a draw is bad for both of us. Do you want to roll a die to see who wins? Don't do that. Why not? That will get you disqualified, even offering it. Really? Why is that? Is that considered collusion or uh, something? Or so in the infraction procedure guide, which is the like the, the little book that tells you like what penalties for what events. Like, it's kind of a little judge's handbook for how to solve things. I have a section, unsporting conduct, improperly determining a winner. So the mindset of it is that it, it compromises the integrity of tournaments. At larger tournaments where there might be multiple people vying for one last slot in top eight, for instance, like a six-round PPTQ, like the one six zero, the couple of five and ones will make it, and maybe one four and two is going to make it, but there'll be two four twos that don't. Yeah. If that 4-2 made it purely on the grounds of rolling a die, those other 4-2s are going to be pretty unhappy. I can see that. So it, it can interfere with, with tiebreakers like that. And that is one of the concerns that Wizards has. Okay. So have you ever had that happen at a tournament where someone was trying to do a die roll like that? And you were a judge at? Uh, not where I was a judge, but I have seen it done. Fortunately, that hasn't happened because every time we get into a round where it might be a concern, I say it over and over again. Apart from the classic pun that every judge has to make at the start of big events, that is the most common thing I think I say. <laughs> I'm like a broken record sometimes. Please don't yeah. offer your opponent any incentive for a match result. Please don't roll a die to determine a winner. Just play magic. Yeah, I, I don't think I've seen that firsthand, but that doesn't surprise me. Um, have you ever had a conflict at an event where someone maybe got in your face or something like that or got like really heated with you? Um, I've never had anybody get really, really heated with me or yell at me or get in my face or threaten me, anything like that. Um you know, there's a line between an upset player and, like, an unreasonably angry player. 
they, you know, they just lost or they just got a penalty and they're unhappy with it, but they're just like, well, damn it, and that's it, then yeah, fine. I haven't had anybody, you know, flip tables or scream and shout at me. I've been pretty fortunate with that. That's good. There is, in fact, an exact policy for what happens, and they give the example of if a player flips a table. <laughs> really? That's in the guide? Yeah, so they have unsporting conduct aggressive behavior. And one of the examples is a uh, player intentionally turns over a table. Wow, so if that's, you, that's pretty fun. If you table flip, that is a good way to get disqualified. So I guess let me bring that back. What happens if a judge were to, you know, get in someone's face or something like that for not if a player wasn't listening or if a judge got heated is there any rules for that or anything there, or? there is a judge code of conduct and that just kind of lays out the guidelines of being a judge you know being impartial being fair understanding policy not doing things like that yeah so the judge code of conduct you can be suspended from being a judge through that and you can also just you know if i if I get mad and I hit a player, the actual correct policy would be to enroll me in my own event and DQ me. What? If players, <laughs> if they commit an infraction while they're at an event, like let's say you're just there watching a friend play, but you're not in the event. Okay. You, well, you flip a table for some reason because you're mad that your friend lost. Yeah. That would be aggressive behavior. So they would enroll you into the event, DQ you, and that would be it. So in the same way, if I, for some reason, committed an, an infraction, they'd enroll, I would be DQ'd from the event I'm judging and would probably not get to judge for a while. Or would someone contact you or something saying, hey, you, you're suspended from judging for five months or something like that? Correct. Or... You know, both the tournament organizer and any of the players can submit feedback about me just to Wizards. They could email customer service, and it'll find its way to the right people. Well, I mean, at least it's good that there's accountability like that. There is. Because, I mean, I mean, I haven't come across a mean judge or anything like that, but I was just curious. You know, I'm sure there was some sort of code of conduct, but I just want to know what would happen if you yourself flipped a table you were judging. Not <laughs> that happened yet, but you never know. Oh, I know someone piss you off. I really hope not. <laughs> it's like, why are you playing Eldrazi in Modern? Flip the table. <laughs> why, why aren't you playing Eldrazi in Modern? Oh, that'd be a good Don't excuse, Don't you want to too. win? <laughs> All right, yeah. Wow, that's... I thought I knew some stuff about judging, but now you, you kind of open up my eyes to some stuff. Like, especially the testing part. Like, I had no idea you had to go up to level two or something. I thought it would just be something, oh, you, I don't know, pay some dues or something and sign up to take a test. Nope. They, I didn't uh, realize there was a whole community behind it, too. In the long, long, long ago, like early, mid-90s, you were allowed to charge to give somebody a test, but that hasn't been the case for probably 20 years. Oh, wow. So... what? Was Wizards ever in control of the judge community at any point? Not really. There used to be a judge program, and I'm dating myself by vaguely remembering it. I think it was the like the arena program. Okay. And so for that, you just you took a test like out of the back of a book, and then mailed Wizards your results. Like you didn't even have to tell them 
Like, you didn't have to send them the test and they graded it for you. Uh, the answers were all available. So you just said, oh, yeah, I totally <laughs> got 9 out of 10. Wow. And But now it's a little more streamlined. You just you contact higher-level judge, say, hey, I'd like to take this test. They'll talk to you for a while. They'll probably watch you judge an event or two. If they think they're ready, they'll give you the test. So how does one start to become a judge? So the first thing you're going to want to do is you're going to want to reach out to a a local higher-level judge. Like if you want to be an L1, contact your local L2. Uh, if you can't find one, he's the guy who judged your most recent PPTQ. Uh, you know, the guy behind the counter at the store can probably get you that guy's information. Okay. If not, there's a website. It's the, the judge website basically for signing up for every major event. Apps.magicjudges.org. It's called Judge Apps. And on there you can say, that, hey, I'm a, I'm a judge candidate or L0, some people call it. And okay. I'm interested in being a judge. You can search for judges by area, so you can find a judge, you know, maybe within 30 miles, 50 miles of you. Some areas are, of course, going to have fewer judges. If you live in Montana, you may not be as fortunate in your selection of L2 judges as someone in New York City or L.A. Yeah. But through any of those means, you can probably find an L2. L3s get harder, and L4s and 5s, of course, even harder than that. But if you're just looking to get started, L2s are usually pretty easy to track down. Okay. So what would you do to, so say you track one down and you said you would judge a few events. What kind of events would those be, like F&M level or yeah, IQ just, level? Or? Uh, F&M level is great. Uh, if they're running like an IQ or something, you can just ask to, to help at that. You know, if your store runs F&Ms and you say, hey, can I help out today? They'll probably be happy just to okay. have somebody... Just a warm body doing something. Yeah. Even if it's passing out packs for the draft and then picking up trash. You know, judges are a lot more than just rules answering robots. There's a lot of pushing in chairs and picking up trash that they do. If you ever go to a big event okay. and see those little table tents with the numbers on them, you'd be amazed how much trash fits in one of those. <laughs> oh, wow. So, are judges aren't paid you said they're, they're not employees of wizards do they ever get paid by wizards to do the higher level events or anything no the because uh, with that comes you know so much other logistical business and paperwork yeah then they have to maybe get benefits and have to be employees and all of this jazz that might come with that or they're not considered contractors uh, or anything well they, they fill out contracting related forms if you get compensated so okay like, if you go to judge like a star city open series uh, they have you have to fill out some little paperwork, and then they give the option of you can be paid in cash, uh, like some amount of booster packs slash booster boxes, or in store credit. You know that is paid by the the store or organization running the tournament, not by Wizards of the Coast. Yeah. So, for instance, if you judge a IQ, you know they might just give you a booster box or you know seventy five dollars in store credit, something like that. And that's what you get because obviously paying in cash requires some other legal issues. Yeah, true. Otherwise, you know, paying under the table comes with its own legal concerns that a store just doesn't want to get themselves into. Yeah, so it sounds like it'd be easier just to pay them in product. Yeah, you know, usually a booster box or two is pretty common. That's not too bad. 
Yeah, because I guess for an IQ, you're looking at what? Eight, nine, ten hours of work, maybe? Uh, depending on the size, yeah, I'd say four or five rounds of Swiss, top eight-ish. It's foot five, six, seven, eight rounds. Seven to eight hours sounds about right, yeah. And getting a booster box, that's only about 100 bucks worth. Damn, it's still not much. But yeah, sometimes I've gotten a little bit more. I've gotten 100 bucks in credit before, which is not bad for like a seven-hour job. It's not, it's yeah. not great, but it's something I like. It's, it's got to be something you want to do. You're not going to get rich doing this. It is hard to make a living judging. But, you know, if I buy one or two boxes a set and one of them comes from judging, not a bad gig. And you save yourself some money. You just got to spend your time. Exactly. That's not too bad. So you said you're 27. Are you married or I'm not. engaged or anything? Single. Just single? Working through grad school. Uh, I think you're doing the smart thing. <laughs> <laughs> no, I've been married for, shit, how long? Almost seven years, I think. So, now nah, it's I love my wife and all that. I talk a lot of shit though. <laughs> <laughs> kind of part of a good marriage though, isn't it? Oh yeah. So you don't have any children or anything like that. Nope. Now, do you do you plan on having kids one day? Maybe. I haven't thought that far ahead. At this point, I'm just trying to get the masters because I've more or less been in some form of school for the last what twenty years. That time yeah. to be done. Yeah, it's I know what you mean cuz I didn't even take a break between high school. I I graduated high school and what a month and a half later I started the summer semester of college. I was just like, "Up, oh, I'm just want to keep going." And then I got my AA and then I found a job in computers and just been getting certified since then. So, I do, I do want to go back to school, but right now I'm in the middle of buying a house. So. That'll take up both time and money. Yep. <laughs> so I don't really have money for anything else right now. So if you ever do have kids, do you plan on in introducing them to magic? Uh, once I think they're ready, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, let me just give you some advice. It's very tough <laughs> to, get, to keep their attention. Um, my six-year-old will play because I made, I made our – like our own version of dual decks, just elves versus goblins. Mm -hmm. And it's very, very simple decks. But my six-year-old loves them. And it's just, it it's a really good way to teach them how to read, though. It's, and I like, it teaches them very basic math as well. Uh, definitely in the reading thing, there are a few words that I learned purely from magic. Oh, yeah, I know. It's, I'm still learning some new words. Yeah, Borygamos is that big, giant monster. Yeah, that's right. The oh shit, the Borbigamos. Borgamos, yeah, the Borgamos in Borg rage or whatever. Because that's the sound your stomach makes when it's growling. <laughs> yeah, that is actually what that means. Oh wow! So wait, that's an actual word. Yeah, Borgamos is a real word. That is the the name for when your stomach growls. That's the sound. Holy shit! That's crazy. something new. I had no idea. Yeah. So what are you um? Wait, you're going to DC for the Grand Prix there? Yeah. Is that what's that sealed? It's team sealed. Team sealed. Are you pr are you practicing a lot right now? I should be, but I'm not. <laughs> Isn't that this weekend? It is this weekend. Oh shit. Well, good luck. <laughs> do you have teammates? I do. I've got a teammate, a couple of guys. Uh pretty strong sealed players. That is my weakest format sealed. So Yeah, you know, I'm hoping to get uh, hoping to get carried. 
Last team that sealed old? GP, the team that won in the Swiss, one of the players went 1-13 himself because his team carried him. So well, if I can go 1-13 and, and get carried, I'll take it. Well, hey, you said they're pretty good at sealed, right? Just have them build your deck. There we go. Because <laughs> you guys all share a pool, right? All three we of you? We share a pool of cards. We, we play three separate matches against another team. And then, you know, whichever team goes 2-1 and one or 3-0 and oh wins the match. Wait, so how does that work? Do you only play one game each? So you you each play like your own match. So we've got players A, B, and C, and players okay. D, E, and F. You know, A plays D, B plays E, C plays F, for example. Okay. So let's say they'll each play their own little match, and let's say A, E, and D win. So A and so collectively A, B, and excuse me, D, E, and F collectively went two and one. So that means that team wins the match. Oh, okay. So it's, you know, you could theoretically get smashed O two, but if both your teammates win. You're good to go. I see what you mean. Okay, that makes sense. Wow. That kind of puts pressure if you suck at sealed or something. It does. That's why I'm <laughs> or, sort of hoping they'll carry me. Yeah. No, that good luck with that, man. That sounds fun. Um yeah, sealed is my weakest format too. It's I used to be really into draft. Like really, really into draft, and that's all I would do for the longest time. Then my friend when they dragged me to a standard tournament, and I've been hooked on constructed ever since then. And so now my limited game is just terrible because I just don't know the, you know, I don't know the sets very well enough to draft them because I don't do it enough. I draft a lot. I just don't play much sealed. I'm just not very good at it. Yeah, it's a different animal from every time I've done because I only do sealed on pre-release. I never do it just normally. Right, that's the only steel practice I get, too. Yeah. Because yeah, at, at my store, no one ever wants to do sealed. Because I'd, I'd, I'd be more than happy to do it more, but no one ever wants to do it. So it's it's hard enough to just get a draft in sometimes, too. Because my store, everybody's really big into Commander. So I like Commander. It's just, eh. I find it very casual, but my store is very competitive about it. So is mine. I built, yeah, I built the occasional commander deck. I've got one. It's my little all foil pet deck. Yeah. I just got that. I just finished foiling that out, and that's been kind of my my project. So now I'm like, well, I can play it, or I can just build another foil deck. <laughs> yeah, my one, my favorite commander deck, Crufix, and ever since they banned Profit of Crufix, I've just been kind of not really been in the mood to play commander and it's like that's always been my favorite deck and i do have the other ones what the seedborn muse and oh crap what's the other one T tefiri or i'm not sure uh, oh shit. another seedborn muse effect something like that i can't remember but it's still it just doesn't feel the same oh yeah seedborn muse was too good for the format though well, no, Profit. Yeah, profit, I should be correct. correct. Yeah, Profit is what I mean to say. That, that yeah, resolves it, it you was, one again. It was. But it, I, I guess when I think about it, my store was so competitive in Commander. Half the time, if Profit was resolved, it or or most of the time it would get countered or stolen or killed right away. So, 
And that's kind of just the right uh, approach because if you leave it alone, it's just going to end you. Yeah. No, but I understand why they did it. But ever since then, I've just been kind of, eh, I don't feel like playing Commander. Because I have some other decks, but they're just not as fun. And, you know, like I said, I just don't take it very seriously. I have been trying to take Standard and Modern a little bit more seriously and trying to get up in the competitive scene, but it's just time. I, I just lack the time majorly. That's my big problem. So do you have any other hobbies besides Magic? Um, so I'll play a lot of video games. I've probably spent more on Hearthstone lately than I have Magic. I I've just recently started getting back into Hearthstone just um just you know to kill some time and it's I'm I'm actually kind of excited about the whole format change. I'm glad they're doing a standard format. Oh my, I being that there's no real way to just buy Hearthstone singles, I spend more on sealed Hearthstone product than I do Magic. I know it's sad. I I kind of wish I mean, I can understand why they don't want to do singles and all that because you can just craft you know, whatever you want, but it's still it's still a pain in the butt. But at least standard things will be on an even playing field for a little bit right. until, you know, they break the format. You'll be like for the so. next set and standard being released in Hearthstone, I was like, yeah, I got no problem. I'll probably drop 100 bucks. But I'm thinking with, you know, a Shadows over Innistrad, I'm just going to buy the singles I want. You know, I approach them completely differently. Yeah, no, I know what you mean. Uh, I don't know. These Shadows over Innistrad, like some of the things they've spoiled look cool but i'm just i'm still not sold on the set yet i because usually i'll buy at least a box of each set but so far this set i haven't been that impressed lately that like thing in the ice or whatever it is yeah that thing is already like 15 bucks pre pre-order you love people are nicknaming it titty so why is that thing in the ice t-i-t-i t-i-t oh They're calling it titty okay. <laughs> i didn't even Oh, wow, that's That funny. thing may be stuck with the name Titty forever. God, I just hope I just hope it isn't speculated to crazy amounts of money. I mean, it seems like it's a good card. It'd be it especially, you know, you get a lot of cantrips in the deck, it'll be easy to flip it. I think it's got potential. It's all about how things play out. I am the worst at speculating with cards. Oh yeah, me if too. I tell you a card's gonna be good, it's terrible. If I tell you a card's bad, it's gonna be great. So, all right, well, that's what you need to do. That's how, that's how you make money. It's like, well, this card is going to be absolutely terrible, and boom, it'll show. Go buy all the Pillarfield Oxes, what you're telling me. Yes. All right. Yes. Four for four, and, value uh, town. Yes, and make sure you buy all the bone saws and saddle back. Like there we go. Too. Now we're talking. <laughs> no, it's just like, I feel like with, with this new set coming out, Jace is just going to skyrocket over 100 bucks. Is it madness? Yes. Yeah. It's going to be insane. I mean, he's already freaking 90 bucks right now. I can't... Yeah. That, that's... I, God. I mean, I already have my playset, but still, I feel bad for people who want to get in competitive magic, and they can't... You know, Jace is in some of the top-tier decks, and they can't afford it. Yeah, I... It's just frustrating. I don't have mine, so I've more or less accepted it. I'm just going to not play blue for a little while. Yeah, and see, that sucks, because you shouldn't be pigeonholed into something like that. I don't mind spending fifteen, twenty bucks for a card. Start to bulk yeah. around forty. Yeah, but I guess for me it also depends on the format. Like for modern, 
Like, I'm almost done getting my playset of Snapcasters, and I don't mind spending 50 to 60 bucks on a Snapcaster. Right, that's not bad. Because because that's because that's going to be a card that's going to keep its value and it's not only good in modern but it sees play in legacy too. You know, so but I see what you, for standard though, I have a little bit more reservations for paying that much money for a card because I mean, well, it's going to freaking rotate in a couple months anyway. What's the point? Unless it has potential play in other formats. It, like I said it all depends. Like I said, with you saying you don't have any Jaces, I'm just like, I feel bad because it's like, well, shit. You know, why is it this expensive? It's like, I understand why it's so expensive, but it still sucks. Right, I mean, I'd like you to know, play the... other decks. Right yeah. now, I mean, I'm, my deck's not terrible. I'm playing a Tarker Red, and it's decent. Yeah, but that's... I would say it's pretty cheap, but no, you've got all the fetch lands, so... No, it's not very cheap. Those aren't those weren't <laughs> terrible. I just picked those up right after they came out and just said, "All right, I want all twenty comms ones." And I just traded for them over a couple of weeks, and I was happy. Oh yeah, that's what I did. I got them as soon as they came out. But still, I mean, just saying it. Well, I mean, well, not right now because rotation's happening very soon. But just a couple months ago, for someone who wanted to get into standard, it's like shit. You got to drop a lot of money. It's just for the mana base alone. Yeah, it is one of the more expensive standards right now. Yeah, and that's what I'm hoping Shadows will at least change. We go back to a mono-colored or dual-colored, you know. I'm hoping at least because as much as I like fetch lands, it gets tiring having to, oh, turn one, fetch, crack, shuffle, 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 <laughs> bring land out. Yeah, you spend so much time shuffling in these formats. God, what was it? It was, was it a... Pro Tour Battle for Zendikar, where it just seemed like the entire they spent more time shuffling their deck than actually playing. It felt sounds like. about right. I, yeah, I think I think it was Pro Tour Battle because yeah, I think I remember seeing them play Abzan. Or, no, no, there was a lot of Dark Jeskai at the time. I just remember saying like, "Oh, turn one Flooded Strand, crack and shuffle, shuffle," and they're like both doing it, and just like, "Oh my god, this is not entertaining to watch at all." got to be hard to do commentary over because there's really nothing exciting to say about shuffling. Yeah. It's like, oh, look, he's playing uh, Misty Rainforest, and he cracked it, and he shuffles, and he's shuffling. How much well, no, how that... much insightful commentary is there about watching a guy shuffle? <laughs> and that's what I like about the Star City commentators, at least with Patrick and Cedric. They're, they were pretty good, at least, for filling up dead air for when there's nothing going on. They are. They're fairly entertaining. Yeah. But, oh, man. All right, man. Well, I think we are running out of time here. Um, is there any shout-outs you want to do or any plugs you want to do? Plug yourself or whatever? I've got nothing worth plugging, but thank you for the offer. <laughs> any shout-outs you want to do? or? No, I'm good, man. Just happy to be on. Right, thank you cool. for having me. All right. Well, thank you. Hey, let's um maybe try to do something similar like this again. I enjoyed having you on. Absolutely. It was a pretty good talk. We'll, I'll keep in touch with you, and um, yeah, I'll let you know when it's coming up on iTunes. Sounds right. good. Thank you. All right. Well, have a good you night, too. man. All right. Bye. Bye.